Okay, friends, we are having our third ever uh, Exiles in Babylon conference, April 18th through the 20th in Boise, Idaho. You can attend virtually or attend live. Uh, space is filling up, so if you do want to attend live, I would uh, highly recommend registering sooner than later at theologyintheraw.com. That's theologyintheraw.com. We are going to tackle a bunch of really important and tough topics. We're going to talk about deconstruction, reconstruction, and the gospel. Why are people deconstructing from their former evangelical faith? We have Abigail. Gail Favali, Amin Hudson, Tim Whitaker from the New Evangelicals, and Evan Wickham, who are going to be uh, dialoguing about that topic. We also are going to ta- uh, cover the extremely important and very um, sensitive topic of women, power, and abuse in the church. We have Julie Slattery, uh, Sandy Richter, Tiffany Bloom, Lori Krieg addressing that super important topic. Uh, we're also going to tackle LGBTQ people and the church with Greg Coles, Brenna Blaine, Art Perea, and Kat LaPrairie. And we're also, of course, going to tackle politics, three Christian views of politics, where we're going to have a left-leaning Christian, a right-leaning Christian, and a non-leaning and a Baptist-ish Christian uh, who are going to, we're going to put them in dialogue together and, and, and hash some things out. So we have Brian Zahn representing that middle or non-position or whatever, uh, Chris Butler, left-leaning Christian, Joy Mosley, right right-leaning Christian. We're also going to have Max Licato there. We're going to have a joint podcast with Amin Hudson from the Southside Rabbi podcast, along with YouTube sensation um, Ruslan, and of course, we're going to have street hymns there throughout the conference, making everybody uncomfortable. So, um, oh, oh yeah. And of course, a worship with uh, Evan Wickham and Tanika Wyatt. I cannot wait. This is going to be a barn burner, folks. I am working extremely hard to get canceled this year. So this might be the last. It won't be. Well, who knows? We'll see. Um, yeah, it's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna be engaging. It's gonna be, I, I think, helpful and profitable and uncomfortable and encouraging and challenging and convicting and, and all all those fun things. So go to theologyinraw.com, register sooner than later. That's theologyintheraw.com. I will see you in April. Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Theology in the Raw. My guest today is Colton Beach, who is a gay New Yorker who grew up secretly, quote, struggling with same-sex attraction in the independent fundamental Baptist church. And he shares his uh, really interesting and engaging story um, in this conversation. So please welcome to the show for the first time, the one and only Colton Beach. Hey, Colton, welcome to Theology in the Raw. Um, it's been fun interacting with you on Twitter and in, in, uh, through Patreon, but this is the first time on Theology in the Raw, so welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me. <laughs> so um, I'm going to guess probably most people listening don't know who you are, so why don't you go ahead and uh, tell us who you are, and, and uh, love to hear your story. It's it's from the bits and pieces I, I've gotten already. It's a pretty fascinating story. Yeah, I'll just <laughs> jump in with my, my whole life story, right? It's crazy. I mean, a few years ago, for me to be publicly talking about one of the most like nerve-wracking, secretive things in my life um, to anyone, much less publicly like this, it would have been a nightmare. And actually, I feel like I did have nightmares about like people finding out about my sexuality and stuff like this. So younger me would be like really panicking right now. But yeah, why not? Let's just <laughs> let's jump. Let's into go for it. it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I feel I feel like a lot of my story, uh, kind of like I was telling you earlier, is a lot about gaslighting myself i think and taking a lot of a lot of how i i I, what i'm experiencing in my day-to-day life and my spirituality and kind of keeping those divorced from each other very separate and siloed um and kind of keeping these like oh there's these shameful taboo things in my life that i can't bring to my faith world or like uh the believers around me can't bring that into accountability like that's that's not who i am and especially today when i tell people, especially in the, you know, theologically conservative church that I'm, I'm gay, there's this kind of reaction that harkens back to kind of the way I grew up thinking about this, which is like to stop talking about that. That's uncomfortable. That's not who you are. You're a Christian, that sort of thing. So I, I feel like the story of, of what I'm going to share is, is really kind of what it, how it plays out mm-hmm. um, to kind of say, let's not, let's not talk about these, these taboo issues in your life. And I want to talk a little bit after that about how that might apply to other Christians as well. But anyway, I, I grew up in uh, South Carolina, uh, multi-generation South mm-hmm. Carolinian um, and multi-generation Christian, have uh, family on both sides uh, who are pastors and, you know, Christian school administrators, mm-hmm. all, all that stuff. And so kind of followed in the footsteps, um, 
really wanted to go into ministry myself uh, and was pretty pumped about that. Like I have, I have musical ability, I have public speaking ability. And so I was like, okay, this is a way God can use me in these, these different giftings, that sort of thing. Um, as I grew up, hit puberty, realized, okay, actually I can, I'm swinging towards gay porn, which is really weird. And no one's really given me a framework for this. I knew like this heads up of like, by the way, you're going to be interested in naked women. And you're like, you're going to want to look at that. Like, don't look at that. But I was like, actually, I, I don't really want to look at that. So I have these like legalistic tendencies, Preston. So like, I was telling myself these lies of like, wow, you must be like super spiritual because like there's this thing everyone's struggling with and you just don't, you don't struggle with that. So like, um, you're, you're probably just more spiritual than other people. Um, so obviously I found a way to, to, you know, play these mind games as we all do with ourselves. Uh, just kind of justifying myself, uh, about stuff like that. But I, I really didn't think anything of it. it. I didn't think it meant anything about me as a person or anything like that. Um, I was just like, I guess I have, you know, really flexible sexuality or something like that. But as I was listening to what the church was saying about all this stuff, I, I knew a lot about marriage, right? Mm -hmm. And so going to have this wife one day and she's going to kind of be there for me in my loneliness. Like if I feel alone in any way, like there's, I'm going to have companionship through having a wife, but also, you know, I'm, I'm going to have this sexual frustration and like my wife is be kind of like a solution to that in some way and so i kind of actually which is very demeaning by the way but um i kind of applied that to um my sexuality and it was like okay well maybe like once i have a wife and we're we're having sex then that's gonna completely get rid of this thing for guys that i seem to be having right like that's gonna take care of that and kind of redirect mm -hmm. that and so that was kind of my mentality growing Did you up Colton, did you, was that did, yeah. was that explicitly stated, or was it kind of implied, or do you recall anybody kind of he, like hearing that, or is it just kind of in the air of the church you grew up in? Yeah, I'm trying to think back because uh, I don't want to. I want to be as truthful as possible here. Like, I don't think it was explicitly stated. It certainly wasn't explicitly stated um, in terms of sexuality, right? Because, like, as far as gay people went, there's gay people outside of the church oh, or right, like. Yeah waving pride flags in the street and throwing condoms at people. It's like, and they hate Jesus. They hate the church. And I was like, well, that's not me. Cause I don't hate Jesus. I don't hate the church. I love, I love Jesus. I care about my faith deeply. So like, I'm not one of those people that they're describing. Right. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think it was ever like, if you marry a woman, you're not going to be gay anymore or anything like that. Um, but that was kind of my, just from what I was picking up with people talking about, you know, my salvation is here. And then marriage is right underneath that of like all the good things that are happening in my life and the things that are like making me live like this holistic life. You know, I, I kind of like internalize that. Yeah. I, I, it makes sense that like the church isn't even talking about being gay and possibly a Christian. So they're, of course they're not giving it, they're, they're not telling you explicitly, well, if you just marry a woman, so that, that actually makes sense. Yeah. But it would be kind of right. implied I mean, from the, the narratives you're picking up on. Right. I mean, even culturally, we weren't even talking about it either. So it's not like the culture was talking about it, but the church wasn't, which is kind of the case today. But um, it was it was just more so like no one was really talking about it at all. Right. So what, like I said, I, I wanted to be in ministry. I have several generations in my family uh, attended Bob Jones University and I grew up in South Carolina. So I went to school in state there um, to go into ministry dated a girl there. Uh, and the way I did it was like super calculated. It wasn't like, Oh, I'm falling in love with this person. I was like, Oh, she's like stereotypically beautiful. And I don't think she's dating anyone. And I've never dated anyone before. Like, I wonder if we could fall in love and like, just kind of like finagled that, uh, which was really weird. But once again, like, I don't know what other people's experience is. So I was like, yeah. you know, my experience is kind of all I have to go off of. Um, so tried that out. I was doing several different ministry internships um, during the summers of, of school. So like I was a music pastor at a small church, a youth pastor at a different church. Um, I worked at a summer camp, a Christian camp. And I came up here to New York City, where I live now, um, working with a food pantry, uh, feeding the homeless, but was also like, also had kind of this ministry like um, church plant sort of situation going on at the same time, uh, like pseudo church plant. 
Um, so yeah, I, I was doing all these different ministry things. And at the same time, kind of as I was going into each one, they're like, yeah, Colton, you're like really good on stage, but you're not a ministry minded person. And so I was like, okay, so I just need to do better. Right. Like I'm, um, I'm, they're like, yeah, like you can, you can preach a sermon, you can play the piano, you can sing, you can write the music, but like you, you can't help a grieving, like, I can't picture you comforting a grieving family, you know, or like, and, and that was really spot on, I would say, like, I'm, <laughs> I'm very performative. I'm so performative. And even at the time, the girl I was dating, she was like, I also think that you should probably pivot from this whole ministry thing. And so I did one of the things that you can only probably do at Bob Jones, which is uh, switch from ministry as your major to theater. <laughs> um, so I did and loved it. I mean, it was just, it was basically like, okay, I guess we'll just have fun. Um, and oh, I so enjoyed that. Like I, I wrote, um, I wrote musicals, um, actually brought them up to New York, did one of them, performed one of them here. That was oh, super wow. fun. Um, we were doing like, it's a very like artsy school, um, and so I was, you know, we, we did a full length version of Hamlet and the director was like, Hey, you write music, go like have fun with the string orchestra and the recording studio. And I was like, okay, like I got these incredible opportunities to like have all these artistic expression there. It, it was, it was, it was super fun, but I was like, okay, so maybe not ministry, maybe something more performative and I'll just kind of lean into my strengths there. Didn't work out with that one girl. At this, when you're at Bob Jones, are you out yeah. to? You're not out publicly, right? Are you out to yourself? I was out to myself, dude. Okay, like, you were okay. Yeah. Can you? Can you? What, what does that feel? What does that mean to not even be out to yourself in, in college? Oh yeah. So I was in full on rejection state, right? Like, so I'm still like, I'm a Christian. I'm not one of these gay people. Like, and but also at the same time, I need to leave the door open to be um, married to a woman and for that to work out well. Right. Because I don't see a path of flourishing as a single person. Like people don't choose that. That's like kind of a shameful thing that is thrust upon people. If they can't find some, someone, that sort of thing, like was not given like, you know, that's like marriage and singleness or like really high callings or whatever. It was, it was like, yeah, you should probably really shoot for marriage. And, and it almost actually felt like something that was owed to me or guaranteed to me it's like you have these sexual frustrations and god has a plan for that and if you just hold on long enough like and you wait for this partner like um you're gonna have the best sex you'll ever have right sort of thing and it's like oh so i can actually selfishly um like hold out for someone okay i guess i can get behind that actually there's something really interesting if we can take like a a little pause like yeah. in my story um i just came across someone shared with this with me on twitter um these four chronic illness identity states, which is basically like if you have this chronic disease, like how do you self conceptualize um, with that disease? And so you're asking about like, how, how can you deny that you're gay, but also realize like you have these sexual attractions to, to your own gender? Um, I know this is really like offensive um, probably to a lot of people, but I think with our theology of looking at depravity and kind of how that encompasses our, you know, all of our sexualities and our minds, our imaginations, our bodies, like, uh, you know, all, every part of us, we can kind of make a bit of a jump and say, maybe there's some overlap here. Uh, but as far as illness identity states goes, there's the rejection state, which uh, psychology today describes as encompassing a refusal to accept chronic illness as part mm -hmm. of one's identity. Um, and the illness is seen as incompatible with one's sense of self. There's a rejection uh, to refuse. There's a refusal to believe that you have an illness or that you're, you're minimizing the impact of the illness as well. Uh, an ability to integrate the illness into the identity. It's leading to choices that are adversely uh, affecting health. For example, like um, not following treatment regimens, uh, making lifestyle changes that are not supporting their health. Um, so I feel like there's a lot of overlap as far as like how I was kind of handling this thing. That's like, this is pretty obvious. And this is like a, a common theme that's not going away for me. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, but still kind of rejecting it and being like, this will go away or this isn't real or, you know, that sort of thing. And I think that's kind of what kept me hooked on porn going through college and high school. It's, it's just like, there was no one to talk to about it. And there was just so much shame and 
darkness and um, zero accountability. It's just kind of like, I just kind of have to pretend like it's, it's not happening, especially since it's gay porn. Right. Hmm. So, so since I said one illness identity state, I'll, I'll share the other three. It's the other three are engulfment, acceptance and enrichment. And there's no like order to this, but engulfment is the opposite of the rejection um, state. And I don't necessarily think this is one I've experienced necessarily if in conjunction with like my sexuality, but in that state, illness is overwhelmingly dominating life. Uh, becoming a preoccupa uh, preoccupation. Other aspects of identity like uh, relationships and hobbies are kind of ignored and uh, understandably depression and anxiety are increasing in this state, right? So it's like, take your whole personality, flush it down the toilet. This is all that you are, right? That sort of like opposite of rejection identity state. I feel like I've really gotten there, but I know people uh, even in like the sexuality conversation who have, and um, they're pretty insufferable to be around. I think most people would agree. Um, there's the acceptance state, which is exactly what it sounds like. You're not ignoring it. It's not all consuming. Grief is part of true acceptance, moving towards healthy um, adaptations. Depression and anxiety decrease, typically, for those who are in the acceptance state. Then there's enrichment, um, which I believe is the state that I'm in now, and we'll get to there, but it's a recognition that positive changes have occurred as a result of the, the illness, right? Mm -hmm. um, these changes may include an increase in resilience and strength, uh, reward appreciation for life, or renewed appreciation for life, uh, clarification of values, that's a big one, uh, improved well-being in association with uh, that illness identity state. So, yeah. That was a really, really, really <laughs> long way to answer your question, but I thought about it a little bit. That's, I mean, is, I mean, I could see your posture when you called it like comparing your sexuality with an illness that you're not mapping, you're not, you're using right. this framework as an sort of analogous to your situation, but you're, is it, are you comfortable making that analogy? I mean, cause, cause some people could say just even trying to put those two in the same sentence sounds could feel stigmatizing if not dehumanizing or i don't know but you don't seem to be bothered by that i don't know i feel like um my theological understanding as long as it's equally applied yeah. Preston, like as long as we're all looking at our our spiritual state and saying there's something wrong there's something deeply depraved and deeply um fallen about us right and we're not just saying that only applies to gay people, you know, or like same-sex attracted people. Yeah, um, I feel like I could get on board with that. And, you know, I just, I'll speak for myself on that one. I'm not saying everyone would agree with that. Yeah, everybody has a fallen sexuality. Not not that sexuality as a whole is part of the fall. I think it's, you know, we were created sexual beings before the fall. But yeah, we all experience, hopefully, <laughs> I don't need to drive that point home, that, that we all experience very fall in sometimes very dark, depraved aspects of our sexuality. And that, that's across the board. So, yeah. Um, right. Okay. So, th sorry, yeah, that was, I, I kind of threw you off your game. But um, so you're no, at no, no, no. Bob Jones, not even out to yourself. What, when, um, I'm curious, I, I, what's Bob Jones like? I mean, we always hear Bob Jones as this thing out there that's like this, the kind of the off the chart to the right brand of Christianity. Um, I mean, I'm with the Masters, which is, just to the left of Bob Jones, <laughs> um, as, as we, Ooh. you know, say, um, yeah. but you know, I, I, you know, when people think people haven't been to masters, they think John MacArthur, you know, go home, Beth Moore and all these things. And I'm like, well, the, the, the undergrad at least was, it wasn't maybe as, it was definitely conservative, but not, there was a wide diversity of people and faculty and this, that, and we had professors that would push the envelope. We had non-Christians on campus, you know, it was, it was, a, it was, it was more, it was maybe less, I think when people experienced it, it'd be like, oh, this is maybe not what I was picturing, but what's, yeah, what, what's Bob Jones like? Yeah. I mean, like, it's kind of the culture in which I grew up. Like I said, it's like multi-generational like alumni, right? So it's like, it's a fish describing water. I, I don't really know how to describe okay. it to someone yeah. who doesn't know what it's <laughs> it's like. I will say, though, that we had a chapel speaker come in one time who was also an alumni, and he said something that I won't forget soon, uh, which is that you can take a Bob Jones alumni and just kind of drop them into any cultural context anywhere in the world, and nine times out of ten, they are going to immediately figure out how to fit into that cultural context. And I thought that was so smart. Mm -hmm. 
uh, because we are really good. Like it's so niche. It's so niche. Like it has its, there are these kind of like it, their own rules of the road and kind of like, this is what's acceptable and what's not as far as like um, how you should make your bed or how you should dress or when you should go to bed or like, um, you know, these, these kind of rules are like, what's okay as far as like what you say or like people allowed to hold hands, you know, stuff like yeah. that. Like everything is very regimented, right? It, it almost feels like a military school in some ways, but like, no matter what context you come from, you're probably coming from a slightly different context of like do's and don'ts. And so you basically have to figure out how to fit into the, the mold that Bob Jones is showing you how to be. Um, and if you don't, then you're going to get kicked out and you're not going to, you're not going to like make it. Right. Um, and so I think we're really good at kind of blending in or kind of conforming and not, I wouldn't say everyone, but I think most of us would be, but then you have to think about kind of what are the implications of that it's like and so then the students leave and they go out into other contexts where everyone isn't a christian and it's not kind of like this um christian context or christian bubble it's like a secular bubble in some ways and then it's like well you've just enabled them to like perfectly fit into whatever that context is and blend in and not be able to be uh distinct from from their their peers in, in a new kind of way and maybe that was unintentional uh but yeah i mean there's i could go yeah. on forever about yeah, that, no, but, i don't want to get too too off the rails here so so yeah uh when, yeah. when did you first come out to yourself i guess and then i guess the next question would be when did you come out publicly sure so let me get up to there so we uh were at bob jones date a girl we broke up uh date another girl there we broke up and I moved to New York and she was still there. And then I was in New York, just kind of like, didn't have a relationship here, didn't have a job here necessarily. It was just like, this was the last internship that I did. I really liked the vibe of the city. Um, like everyone here is really intense. I'm super intense. Um, I feel very at home. Um, so yeah, I, I just have really loved the city and wanted to live here and just kind of make whatever could work here work. So I joined uh, Redeemer Presbyterian Church, Keller's Church, uh, about six years ago. And um, at the same time was kind of like after a year or so of living here, you know, I, I had Tinder and all this stuff. And I was kind of starting to explore, like, what is this whole thing that I've been gaslighting myself about and still wasn't able to even draw myself to know that I was gaslighting myself. And so secretly just kind of switched my Tinder from looking for women to looking for men and women and then exclusively started swiping on guys mm. and I wouldn't necessarily go out with them but eventually I did and it was just so nerve-wracking because I was scared <laughs> that someone from church would like see us and it's like there's no way they would know it was a date or a tender date for that matter but like just the idea that they might know like it was just so it felt so scandalous and so nerve wracking. And I, I was just so nervous, but I was so intrigued to figure out what this was. And like, I also grew up with a lot of rules um, of, as far as like drinking alcohol being wrong. And um, as far as like, what else? Music with a beat is bad, like morally, stuff like that. And I, moved to New York and I was like, oh, I don't think I have personal convictions against these things. And I was like, I wonder if this whole like same sex thing is also one of those or it's like if it's a personally held conviction or if it's something that was kind of taught to me. So I kind of wanted to discover that um, and kind of be a little in process. Um, around the pandemic, I got a real boyfriend and we were codependent for half a year just spent like every waking and sleeping hour together the first time we ever kissed i'd realized the difference between the last girlfriends that i had and this and I, it was just a world of difference where it's like my brain wasn't calculating like is this long enough like is this did that seem like was i into it enough did they enjoy that i don't know like it, it wasn't all these kind of like is this normal? It was just not even thinking. And it, it was like the most natural thing ever. And that was really like, oh, shoot, like, this is mm. 
real for me, right? Like it's this isn't just like a porn thing. Like this is yeah. Like this is really me. Um, and it's like okay, great. What are we gonna do about that? And so yeah, we we um. Would you say that that was when you were fully out to yourself at that point? I mean, you were. No. I was definitely not out to myself when I had a boyfriend who I was like sleeping with for six months. No, Um, I was like, (laughs) at this point, it was like, well, maybe I'm bi, you know, because I was still thinking, right, my salvation from my like sexual brokenness and loneliness is still a wife, right? And I still had this conviction that I wasn't shaking yet about being with guys. So yeah, there all of that was kind of happening simultaneously and it was just very confusing. I was just trying to figure it out. Um, and I didn't really have like the moral framework to figure that out as except like I knew gay is bad, like, okay. but I didn't really know, like, what do you, what do I do about that? Like, <laughs> it can, can you give me a little more than that? Um, so yeah, still, still was in that rejection state at, at that point. Uh, but he, yeah, he understand why I wasn't like out to everyone, why I was still closeted, why I wasn't out to myself, uh, why I couldn't be more uh, committed to our relationship, which really grieves me too. Um, you know, that like, I don't want to think that I let him on, but I feel like there's a lot of ways in which I did where I knew, like, fiction wise, like this couldn't actually work out. And I think that was just like a really deeply painful thing for me. Um, as much as we loved each other and as like, as great chemistry as we had. Um, so yeah, I actually recently just uh, messaged him and asked for forgiveness, which hmm. is probably, I'm yeah. still in process with a lot of this stuff. But yeah. um, after that, I was like, well, I don't want to hurt anyone like I hurt him. Um, and so I'm just going to like keep figuring this out via hookup culture. So spent three years doing that. Also continued to hurt people because I gave them reason to believe this because I like go- like to go on romantic through the park and like movies and dinner nights and stuff like that so like i'm more like a hopeless romantic type and so people were reading into it and being like this is more than a hookup and it was but at the same time in my mind that's like all it was and so like i ended up hurting a lot a lot of others i deeply regret just trying to figure out my own stuff right and real quick, you're still involved the church at this point. I mean, are, are you living what you would call like kind of almost to feel like felt like kind of two different lives? You just compartmentalize oh, this part wow. of your life, separate it from everything, or did you feel loads of guilt when you like went to church and heard Tim Keller preach or whatever? I mean, yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, it was two completely separate things. It's like I these gay people and these redeemer people can never meet each other because mm-hmm. it's like they then they'll know that I like have a double life. It was a double life, um, and I did feel tons of guilt. Like I couldn't read the Bible. I couldn't pray. Like when I did go to church, I had to kind of like turn my brain off and try to think about something else. But I was still legalistically going because it felt like the right thing to do. It felt like kind of my last like little string attached to like any sort of spirituality that I was just kind of holding on to barely. But I also didn't feel comfortable being in process with people about this, of kind of this, what was going on. I I, I didn't want my gay friends to know about the church stuff and I didn't want my church friends to know about the gay people. So yeah, it, and it was ultimately that that Preston that really got me to the point of like, I can't do this anymore. Like it was crushing. It was actually after a really good hookup, he left my apartment and I was like, wow, I guess the rest of my life is just chasing that again and again and again. And I'm just basically living for myself and squeezing as much pleasure out as I can out of life until I die. And that was just a really horrible thought and realization. And a lot of different things started happening at this point um, that got me to where I'm at today. So I did kind of have this moment, which is obvious to everyone else uh, in the world, except me apparently at this point of I'm gaslighting myself. I, I thought, you know, when's the last time I've checked out a girl on the sidewalk? It's like, never like pretty much never, like I, I just don't, but I'm checking out guys constantly. Um, it's like, yeah, like when's the last time I've watched straight porn out of like more than just curiosity or wondering if I'm like my sexuality has changed or something like that. Never. Right. And so it's like, I, I just have to be honest with myself. It's like, wow, this is who I am. And this is like, I, I am broken in this way and it is a hard pill to swallow. Like it's like, man, I want to 
I want to be a Christian. I want to love Jesus. And like, I want that to be my true identity. And it's like, but this is still going on and this is still very real in my life. Um, and so, yeah, uh, around this time, so I kind of came out to myself in a way. I was like, I, I'm not bi. I don't have this like fluid sexuality. Like I'm gay. Um, and then around that time, some guys at Redeemer were talking to me and they were being really vulnerable with me just in our friendships um, about their married lives and opening up to me about struggles with porn, um, sexual frustration that they're having, even being married, which is like blowing my mind because it's like, wait, I thought you got married so you don't have those <laughs> issues anymore. I thought that was yeah. like, you know, yeah. taken care of. It solves and everything. Like, no, that, yeah, that's what I was told. Like, <laughs> um, hello. And then even going as far as to say is like, and I'm lonely. And it's like, whoa. So you're telling me that if I didn't have this secret, like life going on and I was like straight as a stick and I had this beautiful, wonderful, loving Christian wife, I would still be sexually frustrated and lonely. Hmm. <laughs> like that's, this is not the message that I was, this is not the message that I was sold. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and that was kind of like a wake up call. So I'm realizing I'm gay. I'm realizing marriage doesn't fix things. I'm realizing um, hookup culture is like not fulfilling for me. And I was like, well, this sounds crazy, but I feel the need to pick side here. And I think I'm going to go the die alone route. And that was basically my conception of what I know to be like side B now. <laughs> um, so yeah, basically just be single intentionally for the rest of my life um, out of like alignment with my values and that sort of thing. So yeah. Um, what you real quick, what you're just, I'm tracing it. Is this just post COVID like 2021 ish or? This is a year ago. Oh, year. Oh, wow. This is fresh. Well, 21. Yeah. Wow. Oh, this is new. Yeah. This is new. Yeah, so I'm still in process and like trying to figure out how to word all this stuff, which is why it's taking me so long to get through this whole story. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. And so around that time, I was like, well, I wonder if anyone else is doing this really weird, like die alone thing uh, purposely out of like this conviction, you know, towards God. And it's like, so I, I went to Spotify and I looked up podcasts and lo and behold, Theology in the Raw. Yes. And so this is a very critical <laughs> moment. <laughs> yeah. And I found like this thing about revoice. And I was like, what is this? And I listened to your um, little clip of Misty Irons talking about the Gentiles and the Judaizers and how the Judaizers didn't feel like the Gentiles were like them enough. And so they needed to, you know, Judaize them and until they they seemed um, Jewish enough to be you know, believers, right? And so it's like, wow, that is blowing my mind. Like that is insane to think about. I attended my first Revoice conference this year. Found, you know, I was singing, you know, the doxology with 500 other gay Christians um, who are, you know, committed to the biblical sexual ethic. And then after that, I was like, wow, I have to be a part of this. And so then I basically convinced the Revoice team to let me join as uh, the growth lead. And so now I'm helping them out with um, kind of growing uh, revoice, like basically all the churches and, and you know, Christians who would benefit from mm -hmm. our parachurch organization uh, who don't know that it exists, like mm -hmm. trying to reach them. So it's, you know, on a national scale. So it's a pretty big task. It's really fun, really exciting. Love connecting with people that way. I've messed up for sure. Like I've, I've slept around since making the celibacy co uh, commitment and it's um, like twice and it's, it's been really defeating in a, in a way, but also in another way, realizing, wow, I went from multiple hookups a year to like twice in a year. It's like, wow, God is sanctifying this in me. And like, this is a huge change that I would not have imagined possible a year ago. And yeah, just got kind of, um, changing, changing my heart in these ways. Um, so yeah, I just, I'm really passionate about speaking to how, how this affects the rest of the church, right? Like, I don't think this is just about gay people in the church. I think this is about all of us mm -hmm. and about how, you know, we all have these taboo, really sinful, deep, dark parts of us that we're mm -hmm. scared to let other people in into, but it's relatable and it's who we are and it's, it's, it's our story and it's the flesh and the spirit inside of, of us, like battling it out constantly in our sanctification. And it's like, 
we just have to be honest about that. Like when, when the world looks at us and they see these Christians and us being like, our only identity is Christ. I'm a Christian and that is all I am. And I know nothing else. It's like, no, we see that you guys are super flawed. Like there is a dude in space and time and history that God made Mary a whore so that we could get a sense of what it's like for him to be with us, right? It's like, we're not these like angelic like creatures on earth. It's like, we are so fallen. And it's the story of the Bible is not about how we are these morally upright people. It's about how we serve a morally superior God. Man, you just lost all your Catholic audience by your Mary reference. (laughs) Uh, Sorry about that. This episode is sponsored by Haya Health, a children's nutritional supplement that's actually really good for them. So I first heard about Haya through an advertisement uh, on another podcast, and I immediately thought, man, I wish this was around when my kids were young. Uh, it can be so difficult. As you know, if you're a parent, you know, it can be hard to get your children uh, to consume all the nutrition that they need. And this is where Haya can help. Because let's be honest, most children's uh, vitamins are basically like candy in disguise. They're they're filled with sugar, unhealthy chemicals, other gummy junk that kids shouldn't eat. That's why Haya was created. It's a pediatrician approved, super powered, chewable vitamin. And while most children's vitamins are filled with sugar, Haya is made with zero sugar and zero gummy junk. And it actually tastes good. Like I tried it myself and I was shocked at how good it tastes for being so packed with so many vitamins and nutrients. Haya is uh, pressed with a blend of 12 organic fruits and veggies, then supercharged with 15 essential vitamins and minerals, including vitamin D, uh, B12, C, zinc, folate, and many others to help support immunity, energy, brain function, mood, concentration, teeth, bones, and more. It's non-GMO, vegan, dairy-free, allergy-free, gelatin-free, nut-free, and everything else that you can imagine. So uh, we at Theology and Raw, we worked out a special deal with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. You can receive 50% off your first order. That's a lot. Um, to claim this deal, you must go to HayaHealth.com forward slash T-I-T-R. This deal is not uh, available on the regular website, so you actually have to go to the, the this website. So uh, H-I-Y-A health.com forward slash TITR. Uh, it's all in the show notes and get your kids the full body nourishment that they need to grow into healthy adults. If you're a longtime listener, you might know that I've been drinking AG1 for over a year now. Now, when I started drinking AG1 daily, uh, I immediately started noticing like tangible differences. I experienced more sustained energy throughout the day, uh, more mental clarity and focus. But beyond that, I could live with the peace of mind if I take it daily, um, that my overall health was being improved since I was giving my body all the nutrition that it needs. That's because AG1 is a foundational nutrition supplement that supports your body's universal needs like gut optimization optimization, stress management, and even your immune support. Since 2010, AG1 has led the future of foundational nutrition by continuously refining their formula to create a smarter, better way to elevate your baseline health. And even if you're like me and you eat pretty healthy, okay, so pretty healthy, I do splurge once in a while, it's it's actually really difficult to give your body all the nutrition that it needs without adding some kind of nutritional supplement. So I used to take all kinds of pills and vitamins and green powders and all that stuff. But now with AG1, I no longer need any multivitamin or other supplements because AG1 is a complete and extremely potent nutritional supplement. So if you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs. I use these all the time when I travel um, with your first purchase. So just, just go to drinkag1.com forward slash T-I-T-R. That's drinkag1.com forward slash T-I-T-R. Check it out. I, I find your honesty very refreshing. I, you, is it, I mean, do you, you speak freely about stuff you wrestle with, your failures? Have you always been like that? Or where does that come from? Or is that like a new phase in your life where you're just like, I'm just going to be who I am and not try to cover up? Yeah. I mean, honestly, being open with people about my sexuality has just kind of freed me to hold my um, depravity really loosely uh, because it's like Jesus took care of all this stuff that I'm going through 2000 years ago Mm -hmm. and I don't have to hide it. I don't have to pretend. Um, And in fact, we are called to be 
light mm-hmm. and bring truth. Um, and if I'm not being honest and open about my failures and my depravity, then it's like, how am I supposed to improve? Like, how am I supposed to grow? Who's going to keep me accountable? Um, like there's like things just fester in the darkness and that's yeah. been my experience. And so it's pushed me to say these uncomfortable things. And you know what? Like people appreciate that. Christian people appreciate that. Like non-Christian people appreciate that because they're like, well, that's real. Mm-hmm. it's like no lies detected, right <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i think non-christians typically have a much easier they just typically are much more vulnerable and honest it seems in my experience you know and then i get around christians and it's like maybe i have to put on this plastic smile this plastic face and i, I think you put it perfectly when you said you know you need to hide your your junk it it festers in the darkness and that's just not a healthy place to be so um did you did you ever go through i mean this is all fresh so i mean maybe you're going through it now did you go through like a a deep dive theologically to figure this stuff out i mean you said it early on like hey maybe all this bob jones legalism maybe this is just another part of that that i can just kind of ditch with and yet still be a christian or did you did you end up going through a theological journey and, and, and why did you land on the side B side of things? Yeah, the Holy Spirit just never let me go, basically. Um, like the whole time that I was like on Tinder with guys or like exploring or, you know, the porn from a super young age, it's like all of the convicting and it never let up. And I was assuming that it would. And mm. if it was just something that wasn't a supernatural God thing, right? It's like, this will wear off. But, you know, there's that passage um, in the New Testament where where like there there are people who are given over or given up mm-hmm. to their sexual immorality. And it's like God just never gave me up. Mm. And it's really sobering to think about it. Um, but that's so that's that I mean, that's in a sense, whether you're gay or straight, the kind of hookup culture, I think that's easy to say that that's that's not the way of Christ. But did you ever explore the possibility of a long-term romantic relationship with a guy not not hooking up but actually like you know like you know the typical kind of christian affirming point of view it's never really made sense to me um uh, there there are other things in the bible that it's like oh i could see this way or that way but i've just never understood the affirming side of things uh from a conviction level or for the you know a, a theological level so yeah i mean like i listen to all those podcasts i listen to like like i have an entire bookshelf full of like faith and sexuality books that I like read through, um, this past year. So yeah, I, I looked into all of it, I guess, um, like affirming, uh, theology is just not one that's ever clicked for me. It's I've, I've never, I would love it to be true probably more than most people. Um, yeah. That's fair. Um, I, I would love to, I guess go back. You kind of said something in passing that that triggered something in my mind. We we talked about this offline. You know the 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 whole. Um, I'm not sure what phrase to use. I, I often use a phrase like policing of language. Or, or how about this? Let me frame it this way. The the and this is a debate within evangelicalism. The whole idea of the phrase, just the phrase alone, gay Christian. That someone could be gay and a Christian, or at least even say that phrase, or maybe even use it as some kind of identity, you know, yes, you can struggle the same sex attraction. Um, hopefully you're praying that God will take that away, but you cannot call yourself a gay Christian, that, that kind of distinction. Um, and this is what kind of connected us on Twitter. You, you made a statement that I thought was, you know, you know, I thought helpful and provocative. And I was like, Hey, that's, jump on the podcast and talk about that. Cause that was really interesting. Can you speak to us when you listen on to the church debating this idea of gay Christian, how do you, what are your thoughts on that? Like, cause on the one, oh, sorry, I'll, I tend to ask questions and I think out loud as I'm asking them, you know, but let me just frame it this, you know, on the one hand, yes, our identity is in Christ. Um, and yes, if we put any kind of modifier before Christian, yeah, is is that are, are we suggesting that there's something more important than our Christian faith? Uh, hopefully not. I mean, it, but at the same time, language is complicated and flexible. So anyway, what what how do you, how are you thinking through some of these language debates that are going on? Yeah, I've thought I've thought about it a lot. One thing that I want us to be careful of as uh, theologically conservative Christians is uh, this whole idea of making a false choice for people between 
um, acknowledging their sexuality and being a Christian. Because I think whenever we're so, we're treating the word gay like the N-word within the conservative churches, it makes it feel like it's this worse thing or this unspeakable thing that you can't be, or it's like your life experience is too, like we're depraved, but you're like too depraved sort of thing. Um, and you need to pick between like your your daily experience of your sexuality versus like your allegiance to Christ. Um, and it's like, you can, I think you can acknowledge both just like you can acknowledge any other, um, you know, flesh and spirit uh, thing going on in, inside of us. I don't know that, oh, well, I don't know. I, I think if you look at what Paul says of not just being the chief of the tempted, right? Um, he doesn't say like, I'm, I'm the most tempted person or whatever. It's like, we're, I'm, I'm not... I'm not admitting to any sin when I mm. acknowledge the nature of my sexual, right? Like mm. I could have, I could be gay, but like never actually do anything mm. um, sinful or lustful with that, right? That that is possible. Um, we believe Jesus did that with uh, his sexuality, right? Like he had a sexuality, but like um, never sinned in that way, right? Um, but yeah, and Paul actually takes it further and says he's the chief of sinners. Mm. And he's saying that, as a believer, he's not saying that mm. when he was killing Christians, right? Like yeah. he's like, so now like I am, I'm the worst sinner. And it's like, Paul, what, what's your identity? Like, isn't your identity in Christ? Aren't you a, a child of the risen, you know, and like you use all this like really big language or whatever. It's like, yeah, there's, there's a lot more going on in the world of sanctification and then just this glorified, perfect, holy person. I mean, when you look at the children of Israel, right? It's like, how can you, listen you know listen to all of what happened with them and their rebellion against god and their immediate idolatry like every turn and they're they're grumbling and complaining and not trusting in god mm -hmm. and be like wow what a morally superior people you know mm -hmm. it's like the takeaway yeah. is like wow they suck and like but they have a morally superior god and i think by us really being honest about um how flawed we are in whatever ways that, that kind of manifests for each of us that is glorifying God because it's saying it's not us. It's not our works. It's mm -hmm. not our legalism. It's, it's, it's him. It's mm -hmm. Christ. Right. Um, and I think if, if you're particularly legalistic and I certainly have that bent, uh, you just want to like look right on the outside, kind of like Jesus was talking about, like these whitewashed sepulchers or these cups that are clean on the outside, but dirty on the inside. And, and Jesus says, stop worrying about the outside. Stop worrying about this appearance. Start, stop worrying about like your PR as like a morally superior individual. Like worry about your, your heart and let that clean you on the outside, right? Be clean on the inside and, and start there instead of starting on the outside. And so, yeah, I think there's this, there's just kind of this legalistic bent to start on the outside and be like, well, we're not being open and honest about our shortcomings and our failures and our, our spiritual issues or whatever. So why are you doing that? That's making us uncomfortable. Can you just shut up about that? Like that's, that feels, that feels really uncomfortable to us. And I would actually offer for the rest of the church to come and do what we're doing and be like, be open, be honest, stop, stop pretending, stop hiding, stop being a whitewashed sepulcher, right? Stop looking so clean on the outside and presenting in this way that you know is not authentic. Who are you fooling? Yeah. Huh. So for you, am I hearing you say that like when you use the term gay, maybe even alongside, you know, being a Christian, gay Christian, I'm gay and Christian or gay Christian, that you're not using that in a sense of like celebrating your sexuality as much as admitting the fallenness of part of who you are? Is that is that what you're saying like for you it's a mark of honesty not celebration in a sense or yeah I, I would say it feels very neutral i mean whether or not i celebrate is like one thing but it's like it does feel just like a very neutral thing to say and i i think i think it's really weird how christians suddenly like don't know what the word gay means in the year of our lord 2023 when it's like do you have any friends who are like like outside of your bubble or whatever it's like I, I, I just don't know what to say. It's like, do you know what straight means? Like, and, and so I've actually done this. So I, I held an unofficial event um, 
for some of my Christian friends here in the city uh, a few weekends ago, where it was just a wine night and we could talk about faith and sexuality and they could ask all the questions that they were nervous to ask about. And like, I had like this anonymous Slido thing set up for them so they could ask them. And I I shared my testimony and uh, some key points. And I think one thing that helped them is I asked them a lot of these questions that Christians are like, what does gay mean? I don't know what that is and that sort of thing. And I just actually flipped the script and I subbed out the word gay for straight um, with all, a lot of the questions that I get. And so a few of those are like, how are we supposed to know if you're following Jesus as a straight person if all you tell us is that you're straight, right? <laughs> it's like, how are we supposed to know if if you're like sleeping around with people or sleeping with someone before a marriage like, all we know is you're straight. Like, you could be doing that. Like, how are we supposed to know? You can't just tell us you're straight. Can you be straight without lusting after the opposite gender, right? And so there's a lot of equation with sin and with sexual attraction, right? It's like, can you be sexually attracted to someone without lusting? Mm-hmm. Um, well, can you be straight without lusting for someone of the opposite gender? It's like, and then there's an, another question, which you and I connected on on Twitter is, what, what is the straight lifestyle? <laughs> I would love to know what that is. It's like, it, it presumes that there's one, right? There's like one way to be straight. Well, we know there's multiple ways to be straight. There's multiple ways to live that out. And there's multiple ways to be gay, but we don't know that because we're silencing all the, the gay people in the conservative churches. And so they're all closeted, right? Um, is there a difference in being straight and struggling with opposite sex attraction? Yeah, one is something that no one actually says and the other one is in the vernacular. Um, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, no one says I'm struggling with opposite. No one, no straight person conceives of themselves as having a problem with attraction to the opposite. They, they conceive of having a problem with lust, in which case I would, you know, join in and be like, yeah, me too. Like we're, we're all struggling with that together or whatever, but we're very lustful people. But, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, I don't, I don't see how this like, conversion therapy lingo is useful to, to us, especially from a missional perspective. Just a few more, Preston, if you if you don't mind. Um, yeah. Why would you identify uh, with straight culture if it's so problematic, right? <laughs> There's so many problems in straight culture. What Aren't, aren't you giving into sin if you identify with your straight desires, right? Um, doesn't the Bible say such were some of you? Oh, this is a great one. You're not straight, you're a Christian. Do you see how that sounds so weird uh, to like a straight audience? It's like, no, I'm straight and I'm a Christian. And honestly, I don't really like saying I'm a gay Christian. It's like, I feel forced to say that because so many people have said that there's no such thing as a gay Christian. And I'm like, no, there is. And I'm one of them. You know, it's like, I would love to get to the point where I can just be like, oh, I'm gay. And it's like, oh, cool. And we still like, we don't know where, where you've landed on. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I think yeah. the point I, I, I love, I mean, whenever I give talks on this the, and I get into the language piece, I do almost exactly that. You know, I try to help people understand how some of these phrases practicing homosexual, you know, the gay agenda, the gay lifestyle, that if we just flip it around, the straight agenda, the straight, you know, the practicing heterosexual, like these phrases just feel weird, if, if anything. I think the response, I can, I can hear the critics saying, well, yeah, I don't say I'm a straight Christian. I don't have a flag that identifies my straightness. There is no straight pride parades or anything. Um, but that's, yeah. I, um, you're, I think your point is well taken in the sense that these phrases are just, I think they're, they're too, they're too just broad brush and generic and they've been, they've kind of picked up a negative scent over the years. If I can, if I can put it like that. Well, I'm, um, glad to, I'm, I'm glad to kind of take the other side of what I just said too. It's like, if, if you, you're like, well, straight equals good and gay equals bad so you can't just flip-flop them around right (laughs) but i would say when i say i'm gay i'm saying there's a group of people out there in the world that i am drawn to sexually act out with right whether i do or not that's not kind of what that's speaking to and it's the same thing for people right and Mm -hmm. so it's like it is not glorifying to god that we act out on any of those, uh, even as far as like in our minds, which is considered lust, right? And so it's like, it's kind of the same thing for for straight people and, and gay people in that sense. It's like, you can acknowledge that there's people out there that you're sexually drawn to and that you're not going to do anything about it. Like, it's a, it's okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, even, even the, yeah, 
even the difference between something like same set or let's just say sexual attraction and sexual temptation. Like when I say I'm straight, that means I'm technically I'm attracted to females. That's four billion people on the planet, you know. That doesn't mean I'm sexually attracted to in that kind of individual sense for billion people. I mean, that'd be stressful if anything. So I, even, even I, yeah, the, the, I think language, I think we need to be very precise. I think it's helpful to be precise with what exactly are we talking about? Same-sex orientation, attraction, experience, temptation, lust. Like all these have overlapping nuances, but there's also some some differences too. So when we use terms just as synonyms back and forth, I think it it can be unhelpful. Um yeah. well, ourselves sinners, you know what I mean? It's like some a, a lot of people have a problem with that, but I as a Christian do identify as a sinner. And I think to not do that is dishonest. Um and you know if Paul can do it, I I feel like it's okay for me to like join join in with that. Yeah. Um I don't know. I just, I feel like it really bumps up against like a legalistic mindset. Like it's really hard to be a gay legalist. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> like it's, it's, it's just so difficult to have this presentation of like, oh, I've got it all figured out and like come up to my level and like, it, you just need to understand the Bible. Like I understand it and follow it. Like I follow it, that, that sort of thing. Like once you start admitting like all these, these uh, faults and shortcomings that you have, um, which the Bible acknowledges, right? The flesh and the spirit lust against each other. Like that's, that's the problem. And I mean, and if I could quote a verse, but woe to you scribes and Pharisees, <laughs> hypocrites for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in to see this topic, I feel like that sums it up so well. It's like we are heaping these extra burdens on people of, you know, some people probably saying, well, you you should be straight and that's what God wants for you. Or you should just stop talking about it. That's what God wants for you. Or like you're 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 not. We're just going to gaslight you and say you're a Christian. And that just kind of like somehow fixes everything. It's like, no, you're you're heaping these heavy burdens on people and you're shutting the kingdom of God in their faces. And it's like, I just look at all of my friends who grew up in this very like pick, you know, you can't be gay and you can't be a, a, a Christian at the same time. And they're like, well, I guess I'm gay. And I guess I just have to live my life you know, against my convictions. And they're all out there with their like partners and boyfriends and sleeping around and like experimenting and all this stuff, just like I was last, you know, several years. And it's like, we don't have to do that. You know what I mean? Like we can all just be honest. And it was, it was Christians being honest about their real stuff to me um, that allowed me in turn to be honest and reciprocate back to them. And it's like, can't we just, can't we just do like that? I mean, you'd have to get rid of your legalism, but I feel like that would be worth it. So you're saying, so the, the aversion to the phrase gay Christian, you're saying has produced, at least in some cases, kind of a negative effect of, uh, you know, the, the, the whole desire, I think, against, you know, people's motivation to say, don't use that phrase is to help people not right. put their fundamental identity in their gayness, but in Christ. But you're saying it's actually, at least in your anecdotal experience, it's kind of pushed people away that it's like, oh, well, if these two things are incompatible, I think I'm a Christian, but I very much know I'm gay. <laughs> so if well, I have to, so if I, if I have to like pick that. between one or the other, I can't deny the fact that I'm attracted to the same sex. Um, that's interesting. Right. Hmm. I mean, you heard my whole story. It's it's basically a story of me trying to do the whole, I'm just a Christian. That's all that's mm. going on here. There's nothing else under the surface. There's no complexity to it. Cookie cutter. I can just blend in and look like every other Christian. I have the same life experience and story as them. There's there's nothing, there's nothing else going on under the surface. Like I tried and you, you're like listening and you're, you know, the, the listeners here, you guys are listening and like laughing at how I'm like having a boyfriend who I'm like codependent with and hooking up with. And I'm still like, I'm not gay. Right. Like I'm, I, it's because <laughs> I have this mentality of like, I'm a Christian and that's all that's happening. It's like, okay, well maybe there's more nuance there, but I do. Yeah, I would agree. I think not being able to hold that nuance of like, I'm a sinner and a saint in the same hand is it did drive me towards this kind of like very compartmentalized, siloed, um, secretive, dual life, right? Um, that just became untenable. And I see that happening with pretty much everyone else who 
grew up in this way of like, yeah, you got to pick between one one or the other. I didn't even think about that 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 analogy of sinner and saint. I mean, I know this is kind of you know a reform slogan, but um, or is it Lutheran? I think it's more Lutheran, but um, yeah, those are two I significant aspects of our humanity that some conservative Christians in particular would find helpful to hold in tension. I am a sinner and I am also a saint, two at the same time. So even if somebody saw being gay strictly as like reduce it to this is your fallen part of your fallen nature, even so being gay and a Christian could be similar to the sinner and saint kind of holding these intention. I never thought about that. Yeah. I mean, there's lots of things about us that are fallen that aren't sinful, right? I mean, yeah. the, I'm wearing clothes right now because I'm <laughs> fallen, right? That was not the original, the OG intent. But it's like, I'm not going to gaslight myself and be like, I am a redeemed son of God. You know, like, I'm. It, you don't walk around <laughs> naked because that was God's original design. And it's like, can we can we acknowledge the full story of, of the scriptures here and stop like pretending like the fall didn't happen and stop pretending like we're not still in Adam and we're still in this flesh, right. That God will one day glorify and renew. Um, and I, I do, I, so I feel like the language thing and the legalism is all part of it. I think another part of it is just this idol of marriage though, Preston, Mm. like there, there is such an idol and idolatry. And I tried to make it as clear as I could in my story of like feeling like I would be saved by someone else, by a woman who -hmm. could like be my wife. Right. And, and I felt like that would bring happiness. And I felt like I was waiting to be happy until that happened. And I felt like she would somehow like get rid of temptation in my life. And like that she would kind of fill this, um, like God, um, like longing and inside of me like that, that I have, you know, that, that God can only fulfill. Um, and you know, it's really crazy. Like we do have these desires and and this sort of thing. I think it was really eye opening for me when I realized like there, there is this guy who, who does love me and who I also love and who, uh, just kind of gets me and, uh, understands who I am. And, you know, um, when I, when I mess up and kind of fall, uh, like he, he seems to be really forgiving. Um, and we actually are going to get married and that's like my very true identity and reality. Um, and it's Jesus, you know, it's like, wow, I actually am going to marry a guy and like, this is my future and this is what I have to look forward to. And, in a way, we're just kind of awaiting the feast of the wedding reception, right? Like that's, we're all going to celebrate that together. And so now when I go to weddings and I see the groom up at front getting teary-eyed, looking at his bride coming down the aisle, I'm thinking, wow, that's how much uh, Jesus cares about me and how excited he is uh, to be reunited with me. Um, And that just gives me a lot of joy. Golly, that's powerful, man. That is... I mean, this is where a theology of sexuality, oftentimes the way we talk about it often falls short, where our sexuality and and human marriage ultimately points us to our final union with Christ. And and I think it is quite telling that a lot of straight people, at least ones with happy marriages— often find it disappointing, right? That uh, Jesus said there will be no marriage in the resurrection. And I felt that. I'm like, wow, really? Like, that's kind of disappointing, but it's only disappointing if the thought of being unified with Jesus in in the resurrection, only if that feels disappointing. And honestly, it's, it's people like you and other friends that I have that are pursuing celibacy that uh, they've made that the bedrock of their existence, you know, that they are longing, uh, sometimes agonizing, sometimes lamenting, but always longing for their union with Jesus as the ultimate pull that pulls them through this life that, that, that pulls them through disobedience, you know, and, um, to thought, to think that, well, when they hear, when you hear Colton, you know, being gay is not your ultimate identity. You should not use that word. You need to, you need to find your identity in Jesus 
This is where I, I understand where that concern is coming from. But if you look at how people are actually living their life, I can only imagine how frustrating, if not insulting, that is given. Well, I also of- agree with that. Like I'd say being gay is not my ultimate identity. If it were, I'd have a, a <laughs> husband right now. Right. Um, it, it is part of my identity, though. I mean, at least while I'm, you know, on this earth, mm. right? It's like that's 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 part of what's going on there's a lot else that's going on i'm also a legalist like i i fight that all the time and it's mm. like there's, there's the law and then there's christ right and i have these these two ways to go and it's like um i don't want to like invest in my relationship with christ i'm just going to kind of like tidy up and like be mm. a better person like, and, and i constantly go to that and i constantly go to that and it's like no it's it's that's that's not what Christianity is about, right? Um, and, and so there's there's so much of our identity um, and, and, and so much nuance there. But there is, like people say, there is a chief identity. There is a, hmm. a, a main supreme identity to rule them all, right? Like, and <laughs> for a true Christian, that is who you are in Christ, and every identity under that is is the word subservient to that. Yeah, that's good. Would you call yourself? I, I, would you call yourself a legalistic gay Christian? And if so, can I use that as a title for this podcast episode? Go for it. A legalistic gay. I, honestly, that's great. I a love raw that. conversation uh, with a legalistic gay Christian. Here I am. <laughs> Colton, this has been a fun conversation, and uh, I could keep talking with you for hours. This is really interesting to me, and. Uh, um, if I ever make out to New York, we'll have to connect and uh, you can take me out to some New York pizza place or whatever. Um, whenever I think yeah, of New York, I just think of food for some reason. I just I get hungry when I think of New York. Oh, we've got some great spots over here. Oh. Like I'm I'm in this like very Greek area, so we oh, have Greek food here too. But I'll definitely see you at Exiles. I'm super pumped for that. Right? Yeah, we'll see you there, man. Well, thanks so much for being cool. on this uh, podcast, Colton. Uh, can uh, if people want to get a hold of you, do you have any kind of website or social media you want, or anything you want to advertise that, or do you not want people to reach out to you? <laughs> oh no, they totally can. Um, on Twitter, I'm Urbanized Beach, um, all one word. Urbanized Beach. I didn't know that's your handle. Okay. Um, oh yeah, yeah, there it is. Urbanized Urbanized Beach. Yeah, cool. Well, thanks so much again, and uh, many blessings in your life and your ministry, Colton. I appreciate having the conversation with you. Yeah, same. Thanks so much, Preston. This show is part of the Converge Podcast Network.